After 32 years, I came out of the closet as a gay Christian pastor. Finally, on the outside of that suffocating prison, I'm looking around and I'm like, we can't stay here. It's not enough to become informed. We have to do something about the harm we're still witnessing within systems and spaces we've been loyal to for so long. It's time we become reformers. Hello everyone and welcome back to Confessions of Reformer. Um, we are in our deconstruction series and I'm bringing back a friend of mine. Uh, you've heard him before, Tim Whitaker, leader of the New Evangelicals, founder. Fearless leader. <laughs> Sorry, no. fearless no, leader. No, no, the, the, the correct term is I'm the creator and facilitator. Oh, I don't okay. like using the word leader personally. <laughs> Just going to be honest. <laughs> Even on paper, that's what it is. Creator, Great. The found, wait. Founder, creator, and facilitator, and facilitator. Yep. of the New Evangelicals. Nice. Love it. Um, so listen, I, obviously, I wanted to pull Tim in on this conversation for obvious reasons. Um, deconstruction is a big thing that's been going on for a long time, but especially in the last few years has ramped up quite a bit. I think there are some social and political things that have taken place that have absolutely impacted the amount of deconstruction that's actively going on, right? Yeah. So I wanted to pull the creator and facilitator of the new evangelicals <laughs> into this conversation to get bravo, to hear Mike, <laughs> thank you <laughs> quick learner to want to hear from him on his perspective and process and convictions in that space obviously deconstruction is such a bright uh, what a broad yeah. wide totally. subject so we're just going to tackle what we can and what feels relevant in this conversation but buckle up we're going to get into it um tim welcome back Thank you. I love talking to you is always a pleasure. So thanks for having me. Well, I think because I mean, two things. Number one, I like talking to you as a human. But number two, any chance to talk on the other end of the podcast? I'm like, I'm in. You want me to talk? No problem. I have a lot of thoughts. So thank you. It means I love it. And I'm happy to provide as much space as I'm able for you to just unload. <laughs> Yeah, you know me. I'm not. I'm not trying to chime in here and give my opinion. I want you just to unload. So this is a great. This is a great synergy here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, you hold space for me, Mike. I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> totally. So Tim, firstly, just I want to, again, in case someone's new to you and this, even this subject, which would be shocking because you know. But um, <laughs> to get us started, when I say the word deconstruction, what does that mean to you? Just in whatever feels relevant in this space, what does what do you mean when you talk about? deconstruction under that umbrella yeah i call it renegotiating your faith nice there you go done period okay great yep great so um for some background tim what are some to kick us off further into this what are some things that you had to deconstruct initially that kind of led you into greater deconstruction work? yeah you know it's it's interesting we're talking about this now because I've been, I've been reflecting on like my past maybe two years i started new evangelicals in december of 2021 Wait, 2020. So oh, I was like, whoa. Right, yeah. yeah wait, nice. what year is it? No, hold on. Wait, 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 wait. wait. It's no, 2023 it right now. Was it 2020 I started it? Yeah, 2020. Okay, so this is, we're going into, it'll be three years this December in 2023. Mm -hmm. um, and um, when I started that account, I was, I was still um, in my evangelical church. I was still pretty conservative. I just had a lot of questions. I couldn't reconcile like the COVID response by evangelicals or Trump still. And then I kind of found the world of what we call deconstruction. So I don't know if I would, you know, and then of course, as you're learning about new terms, you're kind of using those terms to think about your past and maybe what you would call deconstruction. And I think it's important for the audience to understand that that deconstruction is an explosion. So certainly I'm not claiming to have the corner or understanding or even response and, and journey that someone who deconstructs has. 
um, people go in all different directions. Many leave the Christian tradition completely. Many stay in, in the, the house and leave the basement. And I'm one of those people. Um, you know, I think that I, I started, if we're going to use the term deconstructing or in how I define it, re renegotiating your faith, I started a, pro probably a long time ago in small ways, um, you know, with things like uh, this Trump thing. How can we, how can the people who taught me about sexual purity be mad at me for not voting for the guy on the cover of Playboy magazine? Like, I don't understand that, right? And then that brings up a bigger question. Well, what are sexual ethics then? Are they really as objective as I was told they were? Um, and also, why do I have so many gay friends who are nicer than my friends at church? What does that mean? So I think in a lot of ways, I started deconstructing that kind of perspective, maybe like my, my, my mid-20s. But eventually, I got to a point in my life where I went, to, I went through a pretty heavy-duty, like, um, mental health crisis for almost about, maybe about two years, uh, just like a lot of panic and a lot of anxiety. And just, it was like a light switch. I didn't know what happened to me. It was like one day, oh my God, what's happening? I'm freaking out. And that's when I realized like, okay, this is anxiety. This might be depression. This might be, uh, you know, um, uh, panic, et cetera. And it was there where I had to wrestle with big questions. You know, I grew up Calvinist. And for those of you who don't know, Calvinism says essentially that that you are totally depraved and wicked before God. And God has predestined some people essentially to be saved and has condemned the rest for destruction. Hmm. And I thought to myself, like, is that how it works? Is this how is this how God works where I'm somehow redeemed because I'm a Christian and my brother who refuses to get saved is just predestined to burn it in hell forever? Uh, and, how, and what about hell? Is, is hell really a place where people who don't pray the prayer and become a true believer just burn forever? Like for after a trillion years, you haven't even started yet forever. You know, like that, that's kind of thought, right? Mm. And I, I had to, it's not that, it's not that I didn't have answers then. I just found the answers that I got from my evangelical tradition lacking. They were not sufficient answers. They, 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 they didn't make a lot of sense. Mm. So I started kind of deconstructing a lot of those terms, maybe in like by my later 20s. And then, of course, when I started New Evangelicals, uh, I renegotiated a lot of things in my faith regarding how I view the Bible, what is the Bible, what does salvation mean, uh, what does it mean to be a Christian, et cetera. So there's a lot there, but that's kind of the, the big picture overview. Yeah, nice. Love it. Thank you. Great. Nice. So in the vein of like the deconstruction journey and the reasons people go on them, obviously, there are lots of different reasons. Uh, my main reason for deconstructing, like in the biggest way that I have in my journey was obviously me coming out. Um, so we all have different reasons or catalysts for why we go on the journey and in what direction yeah. we go and the depths and whatever. But I'm curious for you in a broad picture, um, how would you answer this question? What are some things that from this point in your journey regarding your relationship with Christianity, what are some things you, you're like, hey, these are deal breakers. This must be deconstructed for someone to be ethically following Jesus in Christianity. Is there an answer to that? Okay, so I'm really hesitant to, to draw new boundaries, mm. because everyone has boundaries that, that 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 they assume are who's in and who's out, then someone else has different boundaries. I will say this, though, I think that you can be a Christian and behave in antichrist ways. Right? So I think that the Christian tradition, you can find people who would have the right mental beliefs about Jesus, the atonement, the virgin birth, who also thought that God gave them a special calling to, to conquer the savages in their land. I mean, that literally is a doctrine of discovery, right? The Pope gives the new colonizers God's blessing just to go in because they're good Christians. That is a Christian take. However, I think it's quite antichrist in its, in its ethics and behavior, 
right? And the reason some people might say, well, Tim, they just weren't real Christians. And the reason why I don't say that is for two reasons. Number one, it makes you a new gatekeeper of who's in and who's out. Mm-hmm. But number two, I think it absolves us from responsibility of holding that theology accountable and saying, yeah, we have to own this. This exists in our, in our space somewhere, whether we like it or not, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think it would be like, and it, I guess it depends on who you ask, but I think about, you know, radical Islam, that that term back in the day, right? We had no problem saying, no, ISIS, are, they're real Muslims. In fact, they're probably the most genuine Muslims, right? But for some reason, when Christians do things like that, uh, they're not real Christians. That's, that doesn't work for me. Every, every religion has has fundamentalist sects. Uh, they, you know, they do bad things, and we have to be honest about that. Um, so anyway, yeah, so I hope that kind of maybe answers your question, you know, it's like, I, I think that if we read the words of Jesus, we can see some pretty clear themes and we can see that those themes reflected throughout the Christian tradition in their own day and own way, as Scott McKnight would say it. And we have an obligation to do that now, right? I mean, obviously the problems we're facing in 2023 America probably aren't the same exact problems that maybe Martin Luther was facing in, in, the, in, in 1549, you know, yeah. I'm just saying, so we have to use wisdom, but there definitely are themes. Yeah, totally. Cool. Great. Love it. So when you think about the thing you created is the new evangelicals. When you think the about new evangelicals. Yeah. So when you think about the old evangelicals, whatever it is, we're leaving, holding accountable, confronting, right? The, fundamentalism aspect of Christianity, whatever group we're talking about when we are addressing that, the thing that we've had to divest from. Yep. Um, And when someone, if someone's listening to this and they're like kind of new to the deconstruction space, they're like, I think I need to do this. I don't really know what it entails. I don't know how far it's going to go. I feel kind of hesitant. I'm afraid. Um, I'm curious for you, would you share what are some things like, Hey, I would highly encourage you to start in some of these areas when it comes to holding your theology, your doctrine, your Christian faith accountable to the way of Christ? What are some like places you would point to as like, hey, this feels like areas I would definitely be looking at if you're new and like maybe not sure what direction to go. If you just want a very solid, I would argue orthodox um, in the in the Western Protestant movement, you know, um, but also very helpful view of, of rethinking your relationship to the Bible. I cannot recommend the Bible Project podcast enough. I just can't. Worth it's worth it. it's worth it. It's so good. Tim Mackey, John Collins, they're phenomenal people. Tim Mackey is a legitimate Bible nerd, scholar, well respected, who goes through themes of the Bible. You know, how does the Bible view trees? They actually have an amazing symbolic meaning that we just don't think about as Westerners. And then he pulls out these themes of how the Bible uses these themes, all kinds of themes. You know, themes about, um, it could be themes about water or themes about what is, how, how the Garden of Eden story is really replayed throughout the entire you know um, Hebrew Bible over and over again and how there's themes about wisdom. Anyway, I'm ranting about that. But I would just say, like, honestly, that's that was the place for me that I was like, oh, my God, I never knew the Bible was this complicated i never knew that, that that there were so many layers that me with a western mind reading the bible in english i just miss out on because of my own context right mm-hmm. so I, I highly recommend that and if that if that there's a lot of episodes there so a book maybe that is an easy read that again game changer orthodox these are not you know crazy people out there doing you know next level stuff there's a book called misreading scripture through western eyes by randy richards it's, I, I think it's like 150 pages. Well worth the read. Get that book. 
Nice. Love it. Thank you. Cool. You're welcome. It's great. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when it comes to people deconstructing, pulling ideas apart, um, it's kind of a scary process, right? Uh, when, especially when you're like new to it, when you're first starting to do it, it yeah, feels it's like terrifying. you're right. You're betraying your culture, your community. It's you're going off into it alone. You don't know what you're going to find. You don't know what's going to happen to you. you. Like there's just all kinds of fears. I'm curious from your personal journey, what was, what was that initial journey into the, the asking the deep fundamental questions? What was that like for you? What were some things that you ran into that were, you were uncertain about or in, sorry, insecure about, or that you we were scared of? Or was there any of that for you when you were going into it? Oh, for sure. I mean, I think hell's the most obvious one, you know, like if I believe wrong, am I just going to be on fire forever? I mean, that's, that's how I was taught, right? Like when you're five wow. years old and that's ingrained in you, that that's a deep seated belief. Yeah. Right. And thank God I just happened to exist at the right time in history with the right version of the Bible and the right wow. version of the Christian faith to not go to that place. But, you know, it's in the beginning, it's scary. These religious beliefs, especially when you're taught them as a child, especially when they're fundamentalist ones, are they they the concrete hardens when you get older, it becomes a staple mm. of who you are. It's part of your identity. And like the skyscraper of your identity starts rocking when you start touching some of those things. And that is incredibly scary. And it's understandably so. I can honestly say now being a few years post that moment in my life, I have never felt, you know, more free <laughs> uh, in so many ways, but it is, it's a, it's a scary journey to get there, my friends, no doubt about it. But I can say with some confidence based on my experience, there is light at the end of the tunnel, but you have to keep going, but it's worth it. It's certainly worth it. Nice. Cool. Okay. So maybe a little bit more, this feels maybe a little playful. I don't know if you're going to experience it that way, but um, a question that's coming up for me, for you in the deconstruction journey and process is if you're, whatever you're willing to share, and I understand some of this, you know, it might still be under review or, you know, you don't want to talk about in this space. So whatever you're willing to share, what are some things in your beliefs that have changed from the way you were raised to believe? Oh, I mean, it's so many. <laughs> Let's say that, you know, I definitely hold my my new beliefs, religiously especially, a little more, a, 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 a little looser than I would hold old ones. So, you know, this is a snapshot at this moment in my in my in the recording, right, in, in my life. I, definitely hell. I mean, I I don't hold to uh, eternal conscious torment as being the the you know um, what what hell is or isn't. Um, the biblical, the view of biblical inerrancy that, you know, the Bible we have is just God's absolute word beamed down to us and that, you know, we just have to read it and we're good. That's out the window. Um, sexuality, obviously, you know, I'm fully affirming at this point in my life um, and intend on keeping it that way. So I think th 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 those are three big ones right away that are just totally night and day from from how I used to see it or who I used to be. Mm -hmm. Um you know, that I really, I don't want to go back to that. It, these beliefs might evolve um, for sure. The omnipresence of God, how I view that might evolve, but definitely has shifted, I think, over the course of the past few years. So for example, this omnipresence of God shifting, what, when someone's listening to you, like, what does that, what does that entail? How has that shifted? Well, well I, I, I'm, this is not a new belief that I'm like, okay, I'm going to advocate for this, but I am, um, I'm maybe not omnipresence, maybe isn't the best term, but I'm thinking about this idea, thanks to Trip Fuller, who's a friend of mine, he's a process theologian. And one of the beliefs that I grew up believing is that God is sovereign, meaning whatever happens, God willed it, it's all good, right? It's including like terrible things like, hey, if you were sexually assaulted, don't worry, it was in God's will, he's gonna use it for his glory. 
you know, and listen, if, if that belief works for people to manage trauma, that's fine. I'm not here to blow it up. You know, my, for my mom, that idea that God's in control helps her sleep better at night about certain things in her life. I, I respect it. Okay. I'm not here to say, how dare you? But I never found that comforting. I found that actually the opposite. <laughs> I was like, wait, if an all powerful God decreed that person's sexual assault, uh, what are we doing here? What kind of God are we a, a part of? Now, what I'm going to say is, again, I'm still exploring this room. I'm, not, I'm certainly not telling you to believe this, but there is a view that essentially God is unfolding with us in, in real time. So God doesn't essentially know the future, but God has the flashlight and it's kind of first in navigating things for us. Mm -hmm. So the idea would be is that, and this might, this might offend some people, is that maybe God's not all powerful. Okay. Listen, I'm offended. I'm just <laughs> but that also, I think at this point is a better answer for evil than, oh, God is all powerful and also sexual assaults happening all the time, right? As opposed to actually God is with us in our present moment, unfolding with us as time unfolds. And then as things happen based on human decisions and, and nature, God is working in those mo moments, you know, as our comfort, as the source of love, as healer, as redeemer you know, to, 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 to make those broken things right again, essentially like that's, I'm kind of into that now, again, not telling you to believe that, but that has helped me a lot. I would never see it that way a couple of years ago, but I'm, I'm pretty intrigued at this point in my life. Yeah. Cool. Fascinating. Um, right. I, Fascinating, I wanna, right? I want to ask you more questions about that. And I'm like, oh no. You got to get Trip Fuller on the podcast. So yeah, we'll about totally. It. Shoot. Okay. So when you said inerrancy, I know some yeah. people, they hear you just kind of saunter past that and somebody like wait what did you just say <laughs> la 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 <laughs> <laughs> tiptoe through the tulips <laughs> yeah so what can you unpack that a little bit more what do you mean when you say like hey i don't believe the bible is inerrant anymore what does that entail what what does that mean to you now well i mean you know i i again i grew up with this view that that the bible is perfect it's flawless it is it's god's word you don't challenge it uh it's true in all matters of history science whatever the bible says essentially is 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 absolute objective truth no way around it i just don't believe that i don't think the data supports that i think the bible is sacred and beautiful I, and i do believe that god has spoken through it in some way but it, it seems that god has spoken through it in a very human way uh when you look at, at just how we have our modern day bibles how even today people sit on boards deciding how to interpret certain words right so we can read them this is the whole crux of the documentary which you and i went to i went to see 1946 you know that that people took a word in in the new testament made it the word homosexual and now we have this belief that you know homosexuality is definitely condemned and how that view can be challenged and should be challenged right so once you start like doing that you just realize like it's not that black and white it's not that clean the bible was not beamed down from heaven to our laps it has a really complicated history and also and listen for me this is not a problem anymore but it was in the beginning we don't have any of the original manuscripts like this is not a debated thing no one even the most conservative john MacArthur, james white person will tell you that's correct we don't have any of the original manuscripts that's not a controversial statement how do you know something is inerrant if you don't actually have the original to compare it to. 
And I think, you know, this is Bart Ehrman's point. He's a critical scholar. I think it's a valid point. However, what I would say to that, just so you know, to give your people some hope here, is that uh, Daniel Wallace, who would agree with him, would say that's true, but we have tons of copies. You know, the New Testament is the most well-sourced document from antiquity. So we can be pretty confident that we have something pretty accurate. And I, I, I can go with that. I'm fine saying I'm, I have enough faith to believe that what we have is somewhere in the vicinity, at least, to what the original audience had. I'm fine with that. But I can also acknowledge that we don't or that, that we can't be 100 percent certain. And that's OK. Mm, totally. OK, I've got another question for you, Tim, but I just want to just respond real quick and just say this is so random and whatever. But I really enjoy you as a person. I just really appreciate the energy and the focus and the enthusiasm and passion that you bring to the things you care about and you talking about them. I love that you want to talk and that you go through the work of like creating spaces and like uh, things you create to share with us to give your voice like a place. It's so enjoyable. It's not just like helpful and informative and doing advocacy work. It's also enjoyable. Like as I'm listening to you right now, I'm like, I just enjoy you as a person. So I just want to throw it in there. Like, thanks for doing this. I just, I love it. Thank it's great. You. Thank yeah. you, my friend. It means a lot, honestly. It does. Thank you so much. What I find to be fascinating about this process is there's also this whole aspect of faith that is playing out in the process and is directly affected by what you find, what you learn, as you critically think through things and come to new conclusions or stop holding certain things at the weight you used to. Your faith starts to be impacted by that on some level, too. I would love to ask you two, like a two-part question. One, how do you define faith in this context? And how has whatever faith means to you in this been impacted by your deconstruction? Matthew Bates has a book. Um, what's it called? I'm gonna look it up real quick. It's actually been it was very helpful for me. Uh, Michael Bates. You're like a human encyclopedia for like some of these areas. It's hilarious. Uh, hold on, I'm gonna pull. <laughs> well, you know, a lot of what I'm saying is not my stuff. I'm just reading other people. Uh, it is called Salvation by Allegiance Alone: Rethinking Faith Works um and something else i can't read the rest of the rest of this but anyway the point is that you know his art oh um rethinking faith works in the gospel of jesus the king not to be confused with christian nationalist language yes um and the point that he makes in the book is that the word faith is better translated allegiance especially when you sit it in its context again the book by the way misreading scripture through western eyes was into this how in paul's culture in that moment, right, he's really pulling from from an actual cultural norm of, of 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 needing to have someone that you give allegiance to, and they give you the gift of either their business or their protection. That's kind of this thing that 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 he's riffing off of here. Mm -hmm. And so when I read that, I was like, oh my god, that makes so much more sense than I just pray this prayer so I don't go to hell. But instead, it's do we have allegiance? And also, when you give someone allegiance, something is owed of you. It's not necessarily free in the way that we think about it. Sure, right. that person might give you protection or might give you a better way of whatever it is like in this in this relationship, right, that we're talking about. But but there's still an, an expectation that, hey, if I give you this gift, this money to start your bakery, like in, in Paul's culture, whatever it is, right, I, you owe me your loyalty, your allegiance. And when I read that, I was like, I love that. I'm in. Like, that's it for me. Yes, I want to have allegiance. I want to have loyalty to the way of Jesus the King, not King in the sense of, of 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 tyrant or you know my privilege over yours, but the way He models it, which is death to the cross for the sake of the other. 
that's the king we're trying to follow here. And even king is a very, you know, it's a very biblical term. We might we might use leader now or something. I don't know, right? But I'm just saying, like that. I thought you didn't like that word, Tim. Oh, you're right. Uh, <laughs> I, I give up. I tap. <laughs> but that that's how I would see it now as I'm kind of working through it. Nice. Okay. Cool. So, how has deconstruction impacted your faith? Well, that's how it has. It has shifted this idea that okay. that faith is like believing what you can't see, mm. blind trust. And certainly, listen, I mean, to a degree, I have faith. I believe that the resurrection happened, even though I know I can't objectively prove it. I, I get that. Mm. Okay. And I, I know claiming that someone rose again from the dead is a berserko claim. I, I fully agree. But that belief helps me believe that one day all things, including death, will be trampled and that, and that, and that we'll live in a world where all things are made straight, you know, the crooked straight. That's not a sexual orientation. Thing. I'm just, <laughs> to be clear, I'm not saying you'll be made straight, Mike. That's not my point. Okay. No, uh, no I don't mean it like that. I swear. Yeah. But like the idea of like, you know, the biblical language is crookedness. I mean, that, 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 that's how, that's how the language works. Right. And it's this hope that one day the, the, the cosmic God will make all these crooked, jagged edges of the chaos of the world straight and have it ordered the way that God designed things to be ordered as far as how human relationships work, our, relation, our relationship to the planet, to God, to each other, etc. So that deconstruction introduced me, or it, it gave me the ability to seriously ask that question and not be afraid of maybe a different answer other than the one that my evangelical tradition gave me, which is here's the true gospel. You're a wretched, filthy, evil, rotten sinner. Luckily for you, God predestined you. So pray this prayer, get saved, go to church, make sure you tie, become a volunteer and you're in and the rest of the world be damned, right? That has shifted. That has gone away largely for me in a lot of ways. And I'm, I'm more about this idea of allegiance to following the way of Jesus. Mm. Nice. Okay, cool. <sighs> your deconstruction journey has a specific bent. You were the drummer, right, on your worship team. And then you started doing the new evangelicals and then there was like a clash and whatever. So yeah. I know that was like a unique part of your journey. Um, my question for you in the deconstruction space here is, could you, based on the journey you've been on, having deconstructed to the degree that you have, Tim, could Tim still attend church um, and thrive? Yeah. Tell me about that. Well, I mean, I, I think what I value in a church community is different. It would have to be an affirming church. It would have to be a church that is willing to hold space for people who believe things differently. It would have to be a church that's willing to actually think critically about their faith, that is socially actively involved in their, in their local community context. There's definitely room, you know. I think that you know, ultimately all church is is the gathering of believers, right? And whether it's three, four, five, a thousand, it's a it's the people coming together to 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 become the ecclesia, the, the gathering place. And so I think that there's plenty of places. In fact, I, th I think it's vital that people have a little community somewhere. It doesn't have to look like a modern evangelical worship service where you tithe and you, someone sings a song and someone gives a 45 minute you know, um, a speech because that's what the, that's what you do as, as, as a Christian. And the drummers are suspended from cables and flying all over the- <laughs> Listen, full, real talk, I mean, that is kind of a dream. I'm not going to say, I'm, I'm not going to lie. If someone asked me even now, if that mega church is like, dude, we'll give you 500 bucks you want a drum be suspended from the ceiling? I'd be like, 
Ooh, Satan, you are tempting me, you know? (laughs) (laughs) But I'm just saying like, as far as being in an evangelical space, like, like that mega church vibe, could I do it? I mean, maybe if those things were met, but they have to be a very specific, you know, way of thinking about that world. But ultimately, most likely not. You know, um, I I don't think I could for a lot of reasons. I I miss playing in those spaces. Luckily, I luckily I, I play now in in a, in a great band every weekend, so I, I make money doing that now, which is a great break from this work. But ultimately, you know, um, I absolutely can be can be part of a church. It has to look not like how I thought it would look a couple of years ago. Right. Totally. Is there anything you have? Is there anything you've lost because of your deconstruction that you've not been able to find again? Well, I've lost like tons of friends. Does that count? Mm. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I lost my entire church community minus four people who truly have been amazing friends to us. Like we, we just saw them this past new year's, like they're great humans. Uh, We get along great, but yeah, I mean, I, it it cost me my, my six years of, of faithfully volunteering at a church, helping to build up like their worship team and all that stuff, you know, that was gone in a few weeks. So I think there's that, I think also the sense of supremacy is gone. I can't get that back that, oh, I have a special view of, of God in the Bible. I'm living countercultural the way God wants me to compared to everyone else, right? There's that sense of like, Ooh, I, I really have the secret knowledge almost that no one else has that's gone. That's out the window. Um, I don't really want it back, but it was comforting. Right. right? I'm like, yeah, you kind of miss having that kind of certainly running around. Exactly. Right. right? Yeah. That, totally. totally. I definitely know I'm going to heaven and out of hell. <laughs> I definitely know what the Bible says about this topic, yeah. but it's also quite humbling. And once you get a good taste of that humility, you realize how much you were kind of an asshole, right? Even if it was unintentional, <laughs> like I, I was not someone, well, I should, I, I should, rephrase that i didn't perceive myself as someone okay <laughs> who was like a bible thumper or who was like super arrogant um but um you know some people might see it differently right. <laughs> i got into a lot of facebook comment wars because of my certainty uh totally. so i think that's another one too yeah cool um this is a weird question it's not necessarily related to deconstruction but it's related to your life that obviously is a big part of that um how much coffee i drink <laughs> <laughs> Well, I guess I'm like, if I, if we were to ask, you're 30, 34 now, 34, if we were to ask like 28 year old Tim, yeah, six years ago, yep. um, if we just gave him a snapshot out of a, of a week in your life, like the last seven days of your life, yep. how would he feel? Would he be like stoked out of his mind? Would he be so embarrassed? Would he be shocked? Would he be concerned for his soul? Would he be like, wow, it's better than I thought it would be. How would he judge your life now? Six years ago. How about I read you what I wrote in a upcoming book I got published in for a chapter. I'll just read, I'll read you j- just the paragraph. Okay. When I was asked to write an essay for this book, it was hard to determine a starting place to share why I love Jesus, but not the white one. Truthfully, if I saw myself picking this title 10 years ago, I would be confused and shocked, wondering if somewhere in the future, I would end up losing my faith and following a false gospel full of sin and wickedness. There you go. Wow. No. <laughs> it's okay great you had that <laughs> i just happen i just happen to have it on my computer I'm like this fits <laughs> it perfectly so i mean that that's probably what i would think is like oh my god like you you've got apostate like you're believing you're believing a false gospel you've succumbed to the world you know that's how i would see myself do you think you now talking to you i guess we're going 10 years ago so 24 year old tim would you be able to make headway or like reason with 24 year old tim I would just hold a lot of space for 24 year old Tim. Uh-oh. Like, let's be friends though, bud. 
and know? not expect him to like do a ton of listening. I I would expect him not to do a lot of changing, but mm. I, I I would ask him a lot of questions. That he'd know? be like, oh, what do I do with that? Off? You know, I mean, this is twenty four year old Tim. I I was always someone who took questions to heart, even if I and I would always debate people for fun. It wasn't like a serious debate, but yeah. I enjoyed tossing my idea out in the ring of 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 you know of the thought i don't know mma whatever you want to call it um oh mma <laughs> yeah mma you know like all right ufc fighter thought number one versus thought number two duke <laughs> it out that's how i always saw it and i enjoyed always doing that so i think that i would just ask him questions and trust that you know when he's alone at home he's thinking through like yeah my answer wasn't really that great but what what what's a better answer you know so i think mm -hmm. i would just ask him a lot of questions and just give him a lot of hugs nice oh yeah. okay so um this is a weird question this one's you, a little bit you more. always say that every interview we do i have a weird question for you yeah it's i believe it just shoot it i'm ready <laughs> okay great. um i think i'm trying to like pad the landing so it doesn't just like um it's more playful but i'm like can you remember or recall any explicit moments where you were as you would say a christian asshole how dare you ask me that question? That's too far. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I was definitely one online, like in my Facebook. I I made a lot of jokes at the expense of women. Really? I was one of those people like, oh, you know, dishwasher joke about women. Ha, 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 ha. And now I was never, listen, I my friends that I know who I talked to recently will tell you I was like a very good friend to them as a male. But I would drop jokes that I thought were hilarious that they would laugh at. But I think looking back, I'm like, you know, that was just rooted in like not good taste. You know, your impact matter more than your intent. And the joke was at the expense of them. And that's not fair to them. And I actually apologized to a few of them later on. I'm like, you know what? I I didn't know any better. I know better now. I'm really sorry. They're, dude, I don't even think about it, you know. But I, I think like I was very I was very sarcastic more than I am now. And I think a lot of my um, I had an ability to, 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 to just cut people and I would do it in a playful way, but I'm definitely sure there were times where I said something to someone that I can't even think of now that I'm like, Ooh, looking back, if, if I, if I was watching that moment in my life, I'd be like, Oh, that was just a, what was I thinking? That was such a bad idea, but I was, I was not a mean person really ever. You know, I'm, I wasn't someone who cursed at people or called them dumb or stupid. That was never my MO. It was just a lot of sarcasm that I thought was hilarious that was at the expense of other people sometimes that I, re I obviously regret now, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I think that was kind of the level of me being an asshole that I have to deal with. Yeah. Um, I don't know if this is true for you. I'm noticing for me, the more my consciousness expands is how I'm going to say that the more I learn and my, my scope and worldview broadens, the more critical my view of my past self becomes, the more I'm like, God, I did not look, I just remember things I said or didn't say or ways I did or didn't show up in certain places with people. And I'm like, oh God. And I just feel kind of like critical of past Mike, even though I think sometimes my perspective might be harsher than is even accurate. Yeah. I'm wondering, do you have a similar experience to that? Is it different for you when you look back on older Tim in light of what you know now and are able to do better with now? You know, it's weird because um, I'm I'm very self-critical, like in, in my present life, right? I'm oh. always looking at my videos like, oh, my God, Tim, this video could have done better because you were too long here and you mumble too much and you talk too fast and your podcast was too, like, I'm very much that way. When I look at myself in the past, I think that I see myself as someone who was really always on this journey with 
the best he knew how given what he knew at the time so i actually have quite a bit of like grace for myself back then because i know for i know for as much as i can know factually that i was not going around trying to hurt people or or even saying things i i was i could never proselytize i was a horrible witnesser so to speak. I could never go to the street corner and preach. I felt so awkward. My friends who weren't saved, quote unquote, I never proselytized them. I couldn't do it. I was just, I was just, and I always felt guilty. Oh, I guess I'm not bold enough to tell my friend like, hey, get become a Christian, you know? You don't I, love them I, enough to spare them from hell. Exactly. That's how I felt. I felt that guilty about it. But I was never that kind of militant person. I always had this streak of like, how do we follow Jesus as best as possible? How do we do church as best as possible? How do we how do we rethink what what, what it means to be a Christian? That's been a long, um, a long streak in my life since I was eighteen or more. Now that's that hasn't always been expressed in healthy ways. I think there was some arrogance there, some pride there for sure. I mean, of course, I'm you know you're nineteen, you're twenty, you're you're trying to navigate things, but I think overall, like I'm pretty happy with who I was given the theology and spaces that I had. Nice, cool. Um, you said you lost a lot of friends. Yeah. Like two years ago. Yeah. And four of them stuck with you. Yeah. Has, and I stuck with them. Yeah. Nice. I'm wondering about a third group. Has there been anybody that you lost and somehow in the time period between when you left church and now who came back to you, so to speak, or like changed their mind at some point and decided to reconnect or has it mostly been just a hard and fast like cut? mostly been a hard and fast cut. I mean, what happened to me only happened, it will be two, two years ago this April. So it's not like it's like super old. Um, I have met some people in my past past when I was a kid fundamentalist upbringing life who have deconstructed and found my account. Um, and so that's been pretty cool. But they were, they were never like mean to me. They were just people that were adults at the time that were older than me, or they were like my youth group leader, something like that. So that's been pretty cool to talk to some of them. I'm like, oh my God, so-and-so. It's been like 20 years and you <laughs> found my work and now like you're deconstructing. Let's talk, right? But as far as like the worship leaders that I, I, I was friends with, that whole most recent, you know, uh, worship culture in my own life, most of them, I, I don't know if, if they're rethinking anything because they don't really talk to me and vice versa. I don't talk to them. Right. Um, I just told myself like, you know, if I'm the one getting kicked out here and I'm not worth being talked to, I'm not going to waste my time groveling for their friendship, you know? So mm -hmm. I just kind of made that a personal rule in my life to save myself from any more hurt, frankly. Right. Totally. Yeah. Um, Tim, it seems like the work you do is probably taxing, obviously like advocacy, holding space, confronting, you know, all the things. Do you get a ton of backlash in your work or do you mostly speak to people who are already basically on board and just want to learn more from what you're presenting? I mean, I get some backlash, but as a white man in these spaces, I get very little compared to women and, and minorities for sure. Mm. Uh, I'll never forget talking to one of my friends who's in this space as like a content creator. We were talking on Zoom and she just dropped this line, joking, but also serious. Like, you know, when you get those death threats, right? I'm like, yeah, death threats. I was like, wait, you get death threats? She's like, oh yeah, like pretty, you know, every now and then I'll, I'll get a death threat or someone will call me a bitch. I'm like, what? I've never gotten anything even close to that. I've gotten a few things here or there. Listen, we have a, our account on Instagram is larger. You know, it's not, it's not massive, but it's, it's big. So certainly we get a lot of DMs and some are negative, but overwhelmingly, you know, uh, positive or great work or keep going. I get very little hate. I get some on Twitter. Some, someone called us the Satan evangelicals. 
I was like, that's a great name. We're going to fundraise off that. Thank you. So everyone give us $6.66 in their honor. You know? <laughs> um, but it's, it's that kind of stuff. And, and honestly, it rolls off my back. I, I don't, in the beginning when I was deconstructing, I had a lot of like, I, I had a sense of, oh my God, if, if these particular evangelical gatekeepers don't approve of my work, am I, am I too far? Am I losing my faith? That was me more in the beginning. Now, I don't think twice about it because I just realized that, that, that they're the gatekeepers of, of American evangelical Christianity, but not the Christian tradition. And just because I'm outside of their basement, they have absolutely no power, mm. you know, that actually dictates my standing before God or the work that we're doing. Mm, totally. Nice. All right. So this is probably my, I don't know, this, this is a weird, uh, don't say it. Yep. I'm not going to say it. <laughs> This is probably my landing question. Um, okay. How would you define a Christian today? Uh, well, which kind of Christian? <laughs> well, when you say like, so someone who's, yeah, that's a good question. I don't, I don't know how to answer that. Like when you're talking about the people who are gatekeeping evangelical Christianity, right? Or whatever, like that's a branch or version of Christianity. Um, how would you define a, what does someone bare bones need to align with, adhere to, believe, follow in order to consider themselves a Christian? Let me tell you why I don't know. And some of you might go, that's ridiculous. Hear me out. So we could all, uh, most of us could probably say, well, how about like the Nicene Creed? You know, like, like you know, the virgin birth, uh, bodily resurrection of Jesus, something like that. Fine. I would say the majority of Christians in, in the world believe some of those ingredients for sure. Um, but then you have someone like, you know, John Shelby Spong, an Episcopalian priest who was like, ah, throw that all away. We got to rethink this whole Christian thing, you know? And I'm like, okay, like this guy is still in the Christian tradition, maybe more on the fringe, but he's in there somehow, even though he's like virgin birth, we don't need it. You know, even resurrection of Jesus. I'm like, it's John, I don't know, a little far for me, but you know, he's still somewhere in there asking questions about, about how we relate to this way of following Jesus. So that's why I'm hesitant. I would say that broadly speaking, you know, usually some of the more orthodox Nicene Creed beliefs are, are a part of that. But even then, those things were at one point were new, right? How about, the, I mean, did, did the Acts Church have the Nicene Creed? Right. Did the Acts Church believe in the Trinity? Seriously, did they? We, we Now, some might say, well, yes, they just call it something different. That's fine. But we can track how the Trinity became a, a core belief of God three and one. Right. It, it, it wasn't right away. It was developed. Even Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, you can kind of see if you look at like I like the chronological order of how the books were written. You can kind of see Jesus get more and more deified. Right. Like I, I, I there's an order to it, but essentially it ends with John saying, well, Jesus was the word before creation, you know, and Matthew's like, well, the virgin birth, you know what I mean? So like I'm <laughs> just saying, like, even there, you can kind of trace this development i'm not what i'm not saying is that therefore the trinity is is wrong or false i'm just saying like at some point even our most our, our most core doctrines of what we we call being a christian were new and at some point someone who we probably see as a christian like paul right certainly he was a christian he wrote the new testament did he have the was he a trinitarian you know uh vir he never mentions the virgin birth once like Paul never talks about the virgin birth ever in any of his writings. So what, what were his thoughts on this? 
was if he if he didn't believe in a literal virgin birth as we experience it was he not a christian i'm just saying like once you start really thinking that way it just becomes i get a little more hesitant before i start saying well definitely this is the line right because you can probably always find someone who's one step beyond that line (laughs) who we would look up to as a christian whether it's whoever the disciples paul you know, James, I'm just making the point, you know, and I'm not saying that no one's ever asked these questions before. Certainly they have, and I'm sure there are answers. There are many different kinds of answers, but I, I I say that, you know, just to kind of give us maybe some humility of like, before we just start assuming, oh, they're not real Christians because they stormed the Capitol on January 6th, but I am the true Christian because of whatever it is that it's a slippery slope towards supremacy. Mm, Totally. (laughs) <laughs> are you applauding i'm applauding oh bravo. thank you thank bravo you, thank you, tim thank you, thank amazing you yeah you. <laughs> that's awesome thank not you. bad well, for tim. a former homeschooler huh <laughs> <laughs> for a former homeschooler we've come a long way um we have oh sorry i'm i've never been homeschooled i was saying oh you haven't no i've never been my oh, both both my you. sisters were, but yeah, I never. I was I was, I was too social. I was like, I don't want to go to school at home. I want to go to school. I had to sit my mom down in tenth grade and say, I need to go to school. I, <laughs> I I would dream about going to public school. I swear to God, I would have dreams about going to school and talking to children. That's how. <laughs> as you as if you can't tell, I'm social. Since I was a kid, so I understand. Yeah, I can't imagine you being stuck at home all day every day. My poor mother. Wow, totally. Um, <laughs> totally. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> I mostly feel like poor Tim, like just, you know, <laughs> where's all that energy going to go? Yeah. Um, Tim, I just, again, and you know, that I think this, but I, I so appreciate your voice and your work, your heart, your persistent humility in the midst of the things you're willing to negotiate and learn and do better with. I think you do toe an interesting line of like being a, a mouthpiece and someone who's providing a clear message and critique whilst also maintaining space for you to be wrong, to be considerate, to be open to like, that's a tension. And I appreciate that you tow it. Um, it's not easily done. And I think I consistently see you like holding that line and I, I respect it and I appreciate it. I think it's so important and beautiful that it's showing up in this work that you're doing. So thank you for that. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, totally. Um, reminder, those of you who maybe are new to Tim or, you know, kind of aware of him, but not really like plugged in, Go follow the New Evangelicals on Instagram. Go check out their podcast. Tim is bringing on some really quality people, doing some great deep dives on really important, relevant, you know, work in this space. And then if you, you know, care about what Tim's doing over there, they are a nonprofit. So please, donations, like supporting their work. There's opportunity for that. I think Tim will easily like provide ways for you to to do that. So um, find that and like, please support their work. We love what the new evangelicals are doing. We need more of this. Um, There's just a lot of work ahead of us that needs to be done. And people like Tim and, and his whole crew, they're doing the work that we need. So please support them. Tim, thank you so much for being here. I so appreciate, you know, what you bring to the table for sure. Thanks for having me, Mike. It's always a pleasure. <laughs> All right, guys, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Listen, there's more where this came from. If you want to dive deeper, check out MikeMayashiro.com.